Welcome to the very first episode of the Great Mind Series podcast, brought to you by Innoversity, a creative, storytelling, and online training company. Big brains, great stories. Let Innoversity tell your story today. My name is Jerry Zaster. I'm the co-founder of Innoversity. The Great Mind Series podcast likes to bring in great minds and have them share their stories. Today we have a very special guest, Bob Chapman, who is president and CEO of Barry Waymiller. I've gotten to know Bob over the past couple of years, and Bob has some fantastic stories. Recently, I got to spend some time with him in beautiful Aspen, Colorado. He's here to tell us the story of his company and of his leadership style. He's also releasing a book titled Everybody Matters, The Extraordinary Power of Caring for Your People Like Family. We had a really good talk today, so let's go to it now. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Chapman. How are we creating that wealth that allows us to write those checks? Right. So we need to do less harm as yeah. we do more good. Yeah. And I thought that's exactly, you know, the issue of corporate America. You know, we we celebrate those who write yeah. large checks for the United Way or the Cancer Society, et cetera. And we celebrate their sure. uh, goodness for that yet we don't ask them how did they how did they treat the people in the sphere of influence as they were on their journey and so i actually incorporated into my last talk the idea is as we do more good we need to we we need to do less harm and that's the issue of lack of leadership in yeah. business is we're doing harm and uh, and so we need to do more focus on doing less harm as we continue to do good in the world so, that's, that's part of what's always bugged me about the I'm giving back. Yeah. What did you take? You had to have taken something. You owe something. Your your philanthropy shouldn't be giving back. If you're well, going to write a check to somebody, it shouldn't be, I crushed 20 lives over here, but I'm going to help three people over do here. You remember, your math is bad. Do you remember the uh, gentleman who flew out here to have dinner with me, a very affluent gentleman? And uh, he had heard my message, and we sat down for dinner, and he wanted to hear more. And I said, what do you feel good about? And he said, uh, I feel good about, uh, I'm known for my $100 million donation to my alma mater, to my school, the largest. Right. Uh, I'm known for that. But he said, what I really feel good about is these minority student athletic scholarship program participants that I have every year. And I said, that's wonderful. How many people are you able to help every year? And he said, five or six people every year and I said that's great and I said how many people do you think work for your companies in the world and he said probably a hundred thousand and I said so what you're telling me is you feel really good about five or six people that you help and you don't care about the hundred thousand people who rely upon you every day and he paused and he looked at me and he said I never thought about that and <laughs> so yeah so yeah but that is <clears throat> That is the world as sure. I see it. You know, right. we, 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 you know, it's, it's about me and my success. And as I get successful, I can feel good about myself. And we celebrate those people who write the big checks and donations. And so this New York Times op-ed reporter kind of looked at the very people who wrote the big checks and said, did, you know, basically, did you do harm uh, in your journey to be able to write these That's big the checks? That's the first question. Before the big check question. That's the first question. How did you, yeah. Have you cared for those people yeah. who, who uh, were in your sphere of influence? And that's why, to me, 
defining leadership as the stewardship of the lives entrusted to you. As Simon said, leaders eat last. It has nothing to do with eating. It has to do with the profound responsibility generals and officers in the Army, the Navy, are taught to care for the men and women under their command. And we don't teach that in business. You know, it's not a fundamental of business. It's not a fundamental in hospital administration. It's not a fundamental of, of universities. It's not a fundamentals of uh, any aspect of, of, of organizations. It is only in the military do they teach the care for the men under your uh, uh, control, under your command, right. under your responsibility. And so it's, 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 it was an interesting variation. Uh, it, it amplified our message. We need to do less harm. We're hurting people. They may have jobs. They may walk out the door and get in a car and drive to home and send their kids to college. But they're hurting. And we know that, you know, for a fact. But that's also a statement about the nature of business right now. Nature of organizations right now. You're not even talking about doing good. There's There's an a priori step. And just try to lessen the damage. That alone, that that needs to be stated... Is it amplifies uh, it, the good in the world because yeah. what we do is we write checks to well, healthcare. Seventy-four percent of all illnesses are chronic. The biggest cause of a chronic illness is stress. The biggest cause of stress is work. Businesses are concerned with the cost of healthcare, and they are the biggest cause of the cost of healthcare because the biggest cause of healthcare is stress. Okay. And and so, we you know we write checks to try and fix. We don't go to the, the problem, right. which is we don't. And why do we go out and raise all this money to do all these good things? Is because we try to go patch. We don't go to the source. The source is that we're not treating people with respect and dignity. And those three precious kids, boys of yours, are going to end into a world uh, that's broken. And and we can fix it tomorrow. And, and people say, what do you have to do? I said, all you have to do is care. Just care. And care, and then as you out. know as a parent, does not mean be nice. And, uh, and so caring is, 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 is the word I use. And to care, as you now know, you have to be able to listen with empathy. So, I mean, I, that's just kind of an advancement of our thought process, yeah. stimulated by that New York Times op-ed columnist who really got into the very heart of the Aspen and and was very controversial when he said that because people don't like to hear that. Did he get pushback on it? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, he got pushback from the very people that he kind of looked at, and because you know <laughs> it was direct. Oh yeah. So yeah, this was a check writing yeah, crowd, yeah, yeah, right. and they this were is, suddenly like, "Whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. You, you know, don't say that to me. I am a good person because I am funding you." So, so you're, you're saying they would be more comfortable if you said to them, "Just write a twenty percent bigger check, and you'll make it all right." Yeah, right. right. That it's, that would be in their comfort that's just, zone. That, that's that's how we raise money. Right. Okay. The affluent people write checks, but we haven't focused on if you will, uh, our sense of responsibility as parents, as leaders, as hospital administrators, as presidents of universities, it, we've become a very numeric world which is focused on individual success, not meaning, not true success. You know, with Lynn Twist the other day, we envisioned, what well, if we are successful, what it's going to look like five years from now. And what we say successful is there's going to be a dramatically higher level of awareness mm-hmm. of the harm that we've done and that we could stop tomorrow 
if we took a sense of responsibility, as you did in the situation, you know, amplified by a million times, that we need to create a growing awareness of that we don't create leaders in this world. We create self-interest managers. No, where, I, do you, where do you start fixing this? I think we start fixing it the way Bill Urey suggested. I think we get into education, okay. early education, and we teach through some simple exercises growing to the time you graduate from high school and go to college about the, uh, the, the skill of empathetic listening. Mm-hmm. Because what you saw, what we've learned, is the fundamental skill in life, in all aspects of meaningful life, until we bring to, if you will, uh, young people the skill of listening, until we, listening is the key to all meaningful relationships, mm-hmm. as you know, as you and I have talked about, as you've seen, that is, you can't care unless you can listen with empathy, and you can't be a leader unless you care. Mm-hmm. So all of these are building. So at young ages, Bill Yuri said, "What if we had listening exercises where people, because I was taught." speech was learning to talk <laughs> right okay. how to tell you what i think yeah right 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 and i thought right. i thought uh you know and and i still think it's the case when i look at our kids and when i look at the young people who've taken the communication skills class that we haven't given people the basic skills to live lives of meaning and purpose which is in service of others right that's the greatest joy you know that you preach that that's the greatest joy is living a life of in service to others, which is the life of meaning for yourself. So I would say to you that uh, we begin at an early age and we give people the the, the skill the skill of listening, um, and then obviously we, we talk in, in in the universities. My goal when you get to university is that we create leaders, leaders capable of going into medicine, education, government, the military, business. And if leaders, because people at every level of every organization in society have a chance to impact the lives of others, uh, and so if we if we if we had a vision of creating leaders with school, skills, and we teach them what it means to be a leader, a leader uh, that we would they would enter into politics or uh, healthcare, any of these fields that are in desperate need of leaders. The, the last thing I think of when I think of leader is listener. I know, right? Right. I, I, that <laughs> a leader is a communication. A you know, a leader of people is somebody who's out front. A leader of people is somebody who, you know, they may uh, you know trample the weak and hurl the dead to get in the position that they're in, um, and we put them in leadership roles because. They can cajole, cajole, they can push, they can prod, they can get people to where they want them to go. And listening just But, but uh, how do isn't... you get, how do you shape your message as a leader if you haven't listened? Mm-hmm. I mean, and my, my, my view is, my, my experience is uh, leadership's responsibility is to give people hope and a vision. You know, the great expression Keep your head in the clouds, but your feet on the ground. Right. Leadership is, I see where we're going right. uh, because I've listened to you. I know where we need to go. And I'm able to bring people along with me to, sh- to share, yeah, that's where we're going. Yep. And here's how each one of us are going to do that. So leadership is that is that sense of the ability to, to listen to people, to get people involved, and to say, here's where we're going. Here's why we want to go here. 
And when we get there, here's why we will have taken our people to a better place, our stakeholders to a better place. That is leadership. That is one of the keys that we've learned in our business. That is what leadership is, the ability to listen and to shape and then to inspire people and to and catch people doing things right. One of the other things that we learned in leadership, which I was never taught, I was taught in parenting. And remember, we believe parenting and leadership is identical. It's the stewardship of the lives entrusted to us. That's what it is as a parent, to be a steward of the lives entrusted to you. That's what it is to a leader, to be a steward of the lives entrusted to you. And so what, we, what, we, what, we, what we've learned is that we've got to have the ability to inspire people because you can't. You know, we have this language in most organizations, manage, bosses, supervisors. Name anybody you can manage. Name anybody that wants to have a boss and name anybody that wants to be supervised. What we want to do is we want to inspire people. And that's when they come, you know, that's when ordinary people do extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. It's amazing what people will do when given the chance to be a part of creating their future. And, and that's really the key that we've learned. I was never taught that. That's just, that's the things we've learned is, uh, is that profound sense of responsibility and how to get people involved in that and, f and sharing their gifts fully and recognizing and celebrating that along the way. What do we do with our kids? We learned at a young age with our kids, you need to spend more time telling them what they did right than what they could have done better, mm -hmm. okay? Because if all you say is, you know, why didn't you get your homework done? You know, I, you got four A's, you got four A's and one B. Let's look what at was the, the B? B. Let's look at the B, okay? <laughs> what happened there? What happened there, okay? Yep. Instead of saying, God, you got four A's, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's really amazing. And so there's a lot of little nuances we're not taught about. But when raised kids, in early age, I learned you got to spend more time on what's good about them than what they could do better. Yeah. And celebrate that to encourage them. Well, we find the same thing in leadership. Parenting and leadership is identical. It is a stewardship of the lives entrusted to you. And, you know, some people walk in your door and they're entrusted to you, and some people walk in your life and they're entrusted to you. And, and you realize it's a terrifying concept to many people. I mean, the, the idea of parenting, you know, we have three boys. The idea of Mary and I parenting three boys, mm -hmm. that's a significant uh sense of responsibility did you, you you probably didn't make that decision before you decided to have them though you didn't say hey mary boy this is gonna be really big Are no you absolutely sure we not. want to do that yeah, yeah right. I, I yeah I, right I, well, you, I have you, no you just kind of you kind of realize that after you have them it is forever too so when you say that for for three kids i get that for three sons i get that now you're talking i mean you guys have what 85 9,000 employees team you members have, team members so all of a sudden Three, I get. Three is manageable. Three is a bit intimidating. How do you steward the lives? How, how are you a steward of the lives of 9,000 people? You have to create disciples who share your beliefs and can take your beliefs out to the 9,000 people. So it's replicating a particular perspective. Right, which on is a why person. we created the university. Yep. Why we articulated what we believe in. You can't just say, go be good, right. and everybody be good in your own way. Uh, what we say is there are certain fundamentals of what caring leadership looks like. So, so the Barry Way Miller University is pointed directly at replicating a particular kind of culture. What I was taught is that basically you get a good education, you get a good experience, you get a good job, 
and basically you tell people what to do because you're basic you're paid more because you're smarter than they are you have more experience you have more power than they do so i thought my job was to tell people what to do mm-hmm. it never occurred to me my thought was to create a vision and engage people and let them tell me what to do yep. so everything i've learned is to me the opposite of what i was taught but we created the university because we woke up one day and said look at Nobody, you know, it's kind of like parenting. We don't sit down and have training to be a parent. We just kind of hope that, you know, when you decide to have children, that you take on that responsibility and that you have some good experience to bring to it. We don't really teach the fundamentals of good parenting, okay? Maybe you took some classes someplace, but we don't, you know, we just, it just kind of happens. Well, that happens in business. We put people in positions of leadership and you say, what kind of skill is that? Well, he was a good salesman, so we made him a sales leader. He's a good engineer, so we made him in charge of uh, the engineering department. But did he have the gifts? You're not going to have somebody do heart surgery on you who hasn't got training uh, in heart mm-hmm. surgery and experience. So why would you put somebody over somebody else's lives who don't know the skills of basically caring for other people? So we had to. we had no choice but to create a university. And there's no teaching content because what we believe doesn't exist so our team started with clean sheets of paper and says, what, what do we need to do to be a good steward of lives and trust? Yeah. And we created a checklist. These are the things you need to think about every day when you come in in terms of being a good steward of people's lives. And we needed to help people understand what that meant. So we need to give them training. And, and, and what we had come to, we came through these series of revelations. So it was a unique journey to where we are. And so we had to create teaching content of caring uh, leadership that is the stewardship of the lives and trust of you. So we teach recognition and celebration, how to let people know that they matter. That is the biggest thing we found is that people desperately want to know at all levels that who they are and what they do matters. So you get questions like this all the time, so I'm going to tee this up. Okay. So, Bob, you guys are spending a significant amount of resources. hmm training 9,000 people. What is the ROI? Because every business leader has a budget. Every CEO, every president's looking at numbers. Everybody's trying to figure out how to increase profit margin. Um, I I know you get pushback. You told me last night you get pushback on this. Like, okay, this is all great. It all sounds flowery. This sounds like something a pastor or a priest or a rabbi. Somebody like you. Somebody like me or a psychologist (laughs) would say, hey, Business leaders, you, you need to soften up. You need to learn how to listen. You need to do all these things. But they don't live in that world. So the question that I think you get pushback on sometimes, the, the, the question is this. What, what's the return on investment for this stuff? You know, the, um, we did this uh, out of a pure sense of uh, creating uh, a legacy that this business would live on beyond my time. And we, we, it, that's how we started we started because we said my greatest concern is we'd build a caring organization and it would be dependent upon my leadership. And we asked ourselves, how do great religions survive over decades of time? They articulate their beliefs and then they create disciples who tell stories that affirm their belief, that, that bring life to those beliefs and they, they spread the word throughout the world, okay? And people... Uh, worship that belief. So there's so, doctrine, which is the core principles, right? There and is, then there are all these not compelling just, yeah, stories. Right. It's that, not just you need to care. We right. specifically said what good leadership looks like, and so I would say to you, my my answer to that is, 
What is the alternative? We know that 88% of all people feel they work for a company that doesn't care about them. We know three out of four people are disengaged who work in our organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you walked out and had a machine tool that was running dramatically less productive, you would address that and try and get it more productive. Yeah. So we know for a fact that people don't feel valued, they don't, they're not engaged. Is there any chance that they're possibly sharing their gifts? Now, I'm a financial guy. Do you want me to show you the return on investment? I could show you the return on investment easy. Why? We are The talent we're attracting right now is unbelievable because people go to our website and they see what we are in a tight labor market. We are, we are attracting unbelievable. The candidates we are getting because they see the culture. Now, the business has been successful, so they see that too. Right. But they see the culture and they say, if it's really like that, that's where I want to work. Okay, we, acquisitions, you know, we've done almost 80 acquisitions. Increasingly now, the companies we're talking to say, this is the kind of company, if I'm going to sell my company, this is the kind of company I want to uh, acquire. So I would say to you... So you can do the metrics. Yeah. I'm an accountant. Right. I, once Somebody once said, what do you want me to prove? Do you want me to show you return investment? I could show you return investment all day long. Right. Okay? And, and, and what I'd say to you is, how can you not do this? How can you not do this when we yeah. know health care costs because of stress at right. work? Okay? What we have is just the opposite. We have companies putting more and more stress on people. There was just a New York Times article about Amazon oh, I know. challenging dramatically people. Yeah. We know that 3G Capital and Heinz and Kraft and Isaac Bush has been dramatically uh, increasing the pressure for productivity, lower cost, et cetera. Right. So we're going just the opposite of this. And so our point is releasing human potential in a way that validates their worth and people will share their gifts. Now, it's, this is not just about caring. You can't just care, okay? It's a it's a rich combination of a good business model, right? And caring because you know there's an old expression: you need to get the right people on the bus. Yeah. Okay. I don't agree with that personally. I think you need to get you need to build a safe bus, okay? A bus that's designed for the safety of the people who get on that bus, and then you need to have drivers who know how to drive the bus safely, but they also know where they're going. And then anybody that gets on the bus is going to go to a good place in a safe bus, which is a business model, with leaders, the drivers, who know where they're going and how to get there safely. So I would say to you that, and that goes back to the stewardship. Leadership is the stewardship of the lives entrusted to you. You can't be good to your people if you don't have a good business model that that, that gives people a feeling of safety and care and that who they are and what they do matters. And when you do that... You will attract unbelievable people. You will create a business model like no other. And you kind of unleash all of their potential. It's, we it, release human potential, but we also, the other thing we learned, Jerry, that is huge, is that the way we lead affects the way our team members live at home. Yeah. We the, found the ripple effect. The ripple effect is, is you know, we are destroying future. When we send people home stressed, not feeling valued, we find that they treat their families, not intentionally, but they treat their families the way they've been treated. How do we know that? Because 90% of our feedback about our leadership training is how it affects their parenting and their marriage and their relationship with their parents, their best friends, friends everybody. And so, and why? Well, because our leadership model came from parenting, okay? And so we see the ripple effect. You can't even begin to quantify. What's the value 
the children are going to grow up in more loving homes with better marriages. Right. How do you put a value on that one? Well, okay. part, of, part of the model, I, I know you get asked the ROI question all the time, but there's a component of this that this entire thing comes from your deepest understanding of what's right. And so it, 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 this is, so many times there are tricks, there are tools, there are management fads that come and go. If you do X, you will get Y. Right. And so it's almost like a machine. If you tweak the management machine a little bit, try, try to care a little bit more and you'll get better returns. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things I've appreciated about you guys is this comes from a, from a moral Well, I, I describe it, it comes, it comes from our deepest sense of right. Yeah. And there, there's something profoundly attractive about that, that it, that it, this isn't just a management trick. It isn't just treat them better and you'll get better results. Right, it, because it, if you start with the wrong reason, you end with the wrong result. Because there will come right. a moment. A challenging moment. Well, there'll come a moment when treating a person with dignity and respect will not be the best financial decision you can make. Right, right, right. And at that moment, the whole model breaks down. So if if you if you're coming at this from uh, your deepest understanding, your 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 deepest belief on what is right and true about a human person, um, and from that, P.S. By the way, it works. But if you start with it works, um, it the challenge is it becomes faddish. Yeah, and remember we came to this because we we became aware of. You know, we just did it because we wanted this to live beyond my time. We didn't want it to be dependent upon me because right. there's nothing sadder than you build something great that is dependent upon you. It's almost irresponsible. Yeah. It's like raising your kids where they're dependent upon you, and when you're not here anymore, their life falls apart. Okay. Yeah. We we want our kids to live a life of meaning and purpose independent of us, inspired by us. Yeah. And so this all was generated from, again, it all began by these series of revelations, which you're aware of, Combined with our sense that we had been given a gift of the way the world was intended to be lived. Yeah. Because I would say to you, to somebody on return on investment, what's the alternative? <laughs> to not care? Right. Right? And okay. do you want to embrace that? I mean, there <laughs> yeah, are some right. people that will say, fine, I, I, right, right. I, I'm, I'm okay not caring. What I care about is a number, not a person. And right, so right. I'm well, okay. But we're taught to care but, about numbers. But do you really want to embrace that life? Do you really want, is that your deepest sense of right? There's no, it can't mo- be the deepest sense. Most right. people, yeah. I think, would go, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, do you look at your kids as, as financial entities? Right, right, right. right? Yeah, that right. You pour resources into them now, and hopefully later they pour resources back into you. Yeah, do what you do, happens yeah, right. when you, you think do, you of don't people do like a fina- I said to a gentleman one time who asked me the return on investment, who had just mentioned to me his son was about to go to college. I said, I'm just curious, as you consider and, and work with your son in terms of what he's going to do, you know, what career he's going to pursue, what university he's going to select to pursue that career. Uh, do you look at the uh, basically the, the compensation level of the various careers and then the cost of the various universities? And you right. take a look at the best return on investment for yeah. your son and say, you know, I think you should go into this field and this university is cheaper. This is a state university. He said, the person said, of course not. And I said, well, why would I look at a return on investment of being a good steward of people's lives? Yeah. Why, you know? And his answer was, well, our company is very numeric. And I said, that's sad. Yeah. Okay. But your family isn't. Well, right, right. And back to your it, – it's very, very hard to argue with the stewardship model that 
with the same passion you have toward stewarding your children toward something, whatever ultimately you your heart tells you you want for them, and compare that to the people that are under your leadership, the people for whom you are responsible. We we don't think again that we we I don't take respon I take responsibility for certain aspects of my business. I don't think always in terms of I'm responsible for these people's lives. And then I think, wait, um, you know, one of the people that works for us is married. Oh boy, am I responsible for her husband? She's got two beautiful little girls. Okay. I bear some level of responsibility for I mean, it it, it isn't just the person, it's their whole family. And well and, and remember, I mean, that's, Jerry, know. remember the uh, revelation we had, and it was again back during the Enron debacle and the Monica Lewinsky debacle. That how do we define success yeah. in this world? And unfortunately, we define success as money, power, and position. And 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 I say, don't we want to inspire people for true success? Okay, true success. And so. If, if if it's all about money, power, and position, then you don't care. And 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 it was that revelation. Then, but who in, wants to live in that world? Yeah, right. right. But that's the world. You know. Yeah. We've got I, right. so many. You know. Again, we took this truly human leadership to a, a beta test hospital, just to, on a well-run, good hospital in Austin, Texas, and we sat down and explained the very things we're talking about. And after a, an hour conversation, the doctors and the nurses cried. Because they said nobody cares about us, okay? And and in in the hospitals, twenty to thirty people die every hour of accidental deaths in American hospitals. Oh, and and when you try to get to the and they've come up with all kinds of safety procedures to try and right. reduce that, and it hasn't wiggled the needle. And when you see the people are administrating care in our hospitals who themselves do not feel cared for. Right. It's not surprising that right. maybe that caring is not at the level it could be if they felt cared for. Right. So, and and then you had the chance to speak in the military. You have a chance to speak in universities, and you say it's everywhere because we we are not creating leaders who care. We create leaders who see it as a path for personal success, not, if you will, a, a profound responsibility. Do you think you can do this? How much can you move the needle? The answer was I was called to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when you're called to do something, you give it every ounce of breath that you have. Yep. Because you, know, you, you can't explain the passion of a calling. Yeah. It's, it's, there's not words to describe it. You know, I believe yeah. that we were given the gift of the way the world was intended to be lived. Right. Where everybody could feel their life had a meaning and a purpose uh, in their the arc of their life, and uh, and that if we don't do something about this, we're heading in exactly the opposite direction. Uh, you know, we've had people say this is the answer to world peace because the conflict we have in the world, the conflict in our families, the conflict in our communities, the conflict in our countries, is because people feel this where they work. They bring it home, and that we we live in a world of conflict, and the news amplifies that because it shows the brokenness. And so we we believe, for whatever reasons, somebody chose us to show the world that caring could profoundly change our families, our communities, our countries, and the world. 
And that's why I said organizations. I started with business organizations, but then our experience shows it's all organizations. If we created leaders who profoundly understood the responsibility of the lives entrusted to them, the world would be a dramatically better place. So part of this message is the book that's coming out. Everybody Matters. Yep, Everybody Matters. And uh, I'm going to predict it. I, I've told you this already. It's going to be New York Times bestseller. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm not as concerned it'd be a New York Times bestseller as it begins a movement. Yeah, that's it just raises the level of, of dialogue. It raises yep. the level of dialogue about reducing the harm being done by the lack of this, yep. so that the good, the good intentions of the world. There's many people with good intentions. But we're simply uh, putting Band-Aids on cancer. we got to go to the root cause of a lot of the hurt in this world, and it's the harm we're doing in the, uh, the inability of people to understand what it means to be a leader. And so until we reshape the way we create people who have the capacity for listening and therefore the uh, capacity to lead and understand what leadership is, that we, we will keep breaking down the society which we are bringing these precious children into. And again, it was that revelation. Again, when you talk about an organization, and you'll talk passionately about your three boys very appropriately, but you know, why are your three boys any more important than anybody else's son? Right. Okay, in the world that you talk about and you believe right. in. And so the yeah. revelation that everybody who works in our organization, in any organization, is somebody's precious child who was brought into this world with the hopes that that person could be whoever they were intended to be and celebrated for whatever that is. That is the world that's, and it's, we've proven it is not, it's it's not that hard. You know, we're an industrial company in middle America composed of 80 <laughs> yeah. acquisitions, okay? Yeah, right. And, and, You're at the hip, cool guy. Yeah, in, you know, we're not, uh, we're not, we're not some, and, uh, right. yeah, right, right. Yeah. And we're not, you know, we don't have trampolines for people at lunch and, you right. know, and, and, and pet. Ping pong yeah, right. and right. This is just about the way we care for people, okay? Yeah. And uh, it's it's a sense of leadership, the profound responsibility for the lives entrusted to you. I think, I think that's part of what the compelling story is. I mean, you guys are 100 and how many years old? 1885, so yeah. 130 years old. Yeah. So you're I'm not that old, but the company's <laughs> well, that old. Yeah, yeah. Well, 130-year-old company, you're in manufacturing, you're largely in the Midway. There's nothing about And it's all this. over the world. Yeah, you're, right. you're global, but I mean, your origins are St. Louis and Wisconsin. And, right, 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 right. You don't look at that and think, this is, this is going to be the place where you're going to figure out cutting edge. This is where you're going to figure out cutting edge... Um, human decency this is not where this is going to come from it's going to come from the west coast it's probably not going to come from the east coast it's going to come from the west coast part of what's compelling about this is that this is a 130 year old company it has been financially successful so nobody can argue that yeah you can put this in place but the reality is it doesn't work financially you can make that argument and then i think um your personality and, and passion behind this is, is what makes this, uh, and that's what we do is tell stories. That's what makes this a compelling story to me. Yeah, there is a one of the professors we worked with who got to know pretty deeply what we we're doing. He said one of the powers of this message is where it was born. Yeah, you know, it wasn't born, and you know, it. it uh, and Raj Zodia, my co-author, said. Uh, it used to, he used to think uh, conscious capitalism movement was related about products that 
are healthier and better. You know, conscious sure. capitalism is products like Whole Foods. Yeah. You know, good healthy eating for better living, and uh, and and he now realized that conscious capitalism is 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 not necessarily only about the product. It's about the people whose lives that we touch. In well, the you course. can crush a lot of people's lives in making good products. Yeah, right, 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 right. And yeah. and somehow there's 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 a deeper there's an a prior there's a first step that has to come before that back to your do no harm. So grant maybe your product is fantastic, and maybe you're writing a big check to the hospital or whatever, and that's all good stuff, and you're celebrated yeah. for that in the media. But if you're building that on a, on a pile of bodies right. and lives and broken marriages and broken relationships with kids and bad parenting and bad neighbor and bad person, if that's all in your wake, um, you failed. Well, again, you look at some of the uh, – I, I read in that New York Times article that um, Amazon now has a higher market capitalization than Walmart. Yeah. And then they're building a campus in Seattle for 50,000 people. Yeah. The article was not complimentary of the way they're treating the people, those 50,000 people. And apparently people are lined up for these jobs because Amazon's growth and where it is. Mm-hmm. And yet they're, they're treating people, they're trying, they're, they're under the financial pressure, under the growth pressure, they're, they're really, they have a phenomenal uh, uh, model, business model from a standpoint of the, what they have created from the Amazon, the technology and, and so forth. But it doesn't appear from the article, I don't know firsthand, uh, that they've got a good human model. Well, and here's, so it's, it's, here's so, the but, stat on that. Yeah. The stat on that is the, the, the average tenure, you know, the average time spent at, at Amazon is one year. Oh, really? Yeah. So for all of the people, as big as the gate is and as long as the line is on the way out or the way in, it's equally <laughs> as long on the way out. People get into that system. And they're talented, and and many of them are going in there because they can say to their next job, "I worked at Amazon." I worked at Amazon, and so that's what their end game is. Their end game is not to be lifetime or decade long uh, contributors and part of the Amazon family. There's none of that, so that works for a while. But, but again, for how long? Begin again. One of the problems we have is that the market is rewarding that, okay? Yep. The mar- Amazon market cap is bigger than Walmart, okay? We've had other instances of these very aggressive, uh, if you will, unhuman uh, organization investment groups going in to major corporations, slack going in and putting massive pressure, right. uh, uh, saying that people don't matter, profits matter. And the market is rewarding them, okay, with uh, share price appreciation because – Profits are up, and they justify and saying we are reducing the inefficiency of the business. Right. Okay, we're making them more efficient. Okay, and what they really mean is we're making them more profitable. And they go in and they slash human costs at, at any cost, and 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 the market says good job. So at the very time, and then the pressure is that if if you're another company in the same sector where this is going on. You got to compete. You, you know, your board says, "Look, at if we don't do that, if we don't embrace what they're doing, they're going to buy us, <clears> and <throat> our shareholders are going to compare us to them." And and so we've got to do that. And so you see P- other major corporations who kind of look at what's happening and they say, "We got to do that too." So I would say to you, even though we say the millenniums, millennials are looking for more meaning and purpose, my sense is it's going just the opposite mm-hmm. uh, direction. 
And, and, and Raj would say that many, many, many of the high school people he interviews have no interest in going into business. They want to go into nonprofits where yeah, there's more meaning and purpose. I hear that too all the time. Okay, and, and, and it makes sense. Why would you want to go into a business world right. where there's a tremendous amount of stress, that people are not valued, yeah. uh, it's all about the share price, it's not about you? Why would you want to go into that anyway? Right. Why would you want your kids to go into that world? Yeah, yeah. So the book. Yes. It hits uh, October 6th. 6th. It's available right now. Um, can you give us a preview of it? It's your story. It's other people's stories. Uh, what should we look forward to? I think we didn't intend to write a book, uh, but we had a number of amazing people visit our organization and talk to our people, not talk to me, and and say to me, I've never seen anything like this. You've got to share this with the world. Well, that so, was my experience the first time I visited you in St. Louis. And I came away like, I don't this is either fantasy land or you are onto something really profound here, and I'm not sure which one's right. Well, Srikumar Rao came in with Tavo Guftinson and Ruma Bose, three people from uh, who were very much invite, committed to leadership. And and Srikumar had been a contributing editor, I think it is, to Forbes, and had spent a great deal of his career interviewing CEOs and and uh, really a very incredibly thoughtful gentleman. And he he was on the tour with Tavo and Ruma, and he sat across from me in my office and said, Bob. You have to share this. There's, I'm, he said, I've interviewed hundreds, if not thousands, of CEOs, and I've never seen anything like this. This is back to your calling, back to your mission. Right. And, and so so we you felt spread it like, internally, but now you're going to spread it we, externally. We, we felt that we had enough dramatic encouragement. And, and so we looked for an author, and uh, Raj came along, who was very much involved in conscious capitalism. Yeah, great guy. And I call this conscious leadership. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a migration to the next level of thought, in my opinion, from being purposeful in your business, but also be purposeful in your human uh, focus. And so uh, we decided to write a book. Originally, um, it was uh, our, our editors, our publisher, Penguin Random House, said, this is not about Bob Chapman or Barry Wimler. It's about leadership. And we said, absolutely. But as Raj got into it, he felt that my journey from traditional business leadership to truly human leadership was important for the reader to take them on that journey, that arc of that of yep. those revelations. So they, so That's they, a story. Yeah, right. So that they needed to have that. I don't want to, to read that. 10 business principles. I want to read how... Somebody I admire, somebody Shifted I want to emulate. The shift of thinking. How did they get, what was the character arc for what they, where they were, what changed them, and where are they now? And so the first, so so my, my, my journey to this uh, is very much told in the first part of the book. But another decision which, made, which was made that I feel incredibly strong about is that the prologue of the book is the story of, of a gentleman named Ken Coppins, one of our professors at the university who worked in our manufacturing operation has become one of our highest-rate professors. And the prologue, the idea of the prologue, is if you read no, no further, you understand the message of the book. And the prologue is about Ken's life His journey. in the world of business and what it felt like to be on the side of an employee who 
went to work hoping he had a career, uh, started a family, finds he gets laid off, what it's like to be laid off, losing your income, having a child. And and the the prologue shows, reveals a side that I've never heard before. No, what it feel, yeah, that. right. What does it feel like to live a life of insec- not being valued, yeah. not knowing whether your job is safe, not you know you want to bring start a family? What does it feel like to live in the humility of trying to, if you will, when you're laid off, having to go with lower your head and go through garbage cans to find aluminum That's cans. That's a story usually Charles Dickens tells, yeah, right? right? Not right. a CEO yeah, right. of a you know two billion dollar a year. Company. And so. The story of Ken Kai, if you read no more, you understand the harm we're doing mm-hmm. uh, in business. And so it opens with the harm. Then it, 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 the, the introduction, the first part of the book is the, the journey, my journey to this leadership. And then it answers the question, how can I be a truly human leader? Mm-hmm. So our hope in the book, of the book, which is, again, the prologue of Ken's story, which is an amazingly human story, of the, what it looks like to be impacted by the lack of caring in leadership uh, to, if you will, the journey from traditional business thought practices in a broken industrial company to a vibrant global company. And again, that's the point I want to make. It is This is not an American issue or a business issue. This is a global issue of all organizations. Because we own companies all over the world, Italy and Hungary and Germany and France and England. And and everywhere we take this message, it is identical issue. People <laughs> want desperately to know that yeah. who they are and what they do matters. Yeah. And the only way we can do that is through caring. And the only way you can actualize caring is having the capacity to listen and a foundation for what does leadership look like, which is our guiding principle of leadership. It's something so, about the way people are wired. It's a it's a need of the heart, despite your culture, despite your language, despite your background. It's, it's a, it's a, it's need a universal the, yeah, need. It's a human need. Okay, and it exists all over the world. Uh, despite all of our images of yep. various cultures, when, I, in my, when my dialogues with our people around the world is an identical issue, and people cry when they hear this message. When I give my speeches around the world, people cry. So what we're trying to do is, is to raise the awareness and create a dialogue around doing less harm Mm-hmm. by moving from management to leadership. And leadership is the profound responsibility for the lives entrusted to us. And it's Simon's book, The Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. It is about the profound responsibility leaders have for the people under their influence. And we need to give people those skills. And so we need to move it into our education system, into our universities, and into our businesses. But the problem is... Uh, it is the momentum. It doesn't feel safe to care right now mm-hmm. because people want to care, but they're part of organizations that don't. Right. And there's a risk. People are afraid to care. And, and, and people, you know, many times feel guilty because, you know, as you know, again, I began, you know, I've laid off people. I've fired people. I've managed people. That's what I was taught. That's what I saw. That's what I experienced. You want to play the game? You play it according to the rules. You know, if you want to right. play professional football, 
you can't take your game out there. You got to you got to play the game. Yeah. Uh, and so we have a momentum that's been established. Back to the industrial revolution. Sure. We've never the human side is never. We needed people to to begin the industrial revolution to man these uh, production lines. But we took craftsmen, farmers, and and leather workers, and we put them in production plants, and we had them put on hubcaps every 15 seconds. We didn't care. We, you know, we, people, their income rose, the predictability of the income. We yeah. created more jobs. We created factories. We created towns. But we never cared about the people. Yeah. We D- created David, a great deal of wealth. David Marquez says you could cut their heads off as long as their hands keep moving. Exactly. Right, right, right. Because yeah, you wouldn't – and it actually right, make your job right, easier. Right, to right. right. And if we can justify – Bringing in a new machine tool to reduce the number of people, great. You right. know, you know the and you know, yeah. I was interviewed recently for uh, by uh, in an article in uh, Fortune. dot uh, com was about the ideal model is no humans at all. Uber, it's just technology. Okay, you don't need those pr- troublesome people with right. families and sicknesses and mental. You know, and yeah. so uh, we've never been taught to care. And the world as we know it today, with the brokenness we have, will profoundly change. And our whole goal of this book is to raise the dialogue. It can work. It does work. And caring is not about being nice. Caring is about being a good steward. So part of this, I mean, you got to picture the young man, the young woman who's in the MBA program reading this book and, and getting a different perspective, the current CEO or current person in a management position or leadership position, reading this and thinking maybe maybe there's another way maybe there's another way Um, i i think there are people that are in leadership positions that are not troubled by crushing the lives of other people but i honestly don't believe that there are many of them i think the vast majority of people in leadership positions do the bad things they do because they feel that is the only way. It's what they've been taught. It's the only thing they know. And so it's expected. And they do not realize that there is a truly human leader perspective that would not only match their current performance but actually exceed it and it would appeal to their deepest sense of what's right. And it would give them a chance to live a life of true success not monetary power success. Yeah. And, you know, all... And that's why we focus very much. It's very important for us that we maintain a strong business. And again, this is a journey. It, it you know, right. uh, we are. Yeah. You know, we have so much yet to learn and yeah. grow to be better stewards of people's lives. We can always be better. And you know, I, I think uh, you know, all we simply say is that we know the idea of continuous improvement is to come in every day and say we can be better stewards we can be better stewards of all the people's lives and and so it's constantly bringing your game up with a focus on being better stewards and and what it does is you see it's amazing how you see ordinary people do extraordinary things when given the sense of safety simon simon senate calls it the circle of safety yeah. right now people in work are defending their jobs because they don't want to get the phone call that they're getting laid off or fired next Friday, okay, as a cost. So you're trying to protect your position every day. And, and, and that's the way people are operating, mm-hmm. out of fear out of, and stress. And what this does is create that circle of safety. I'm going to go there and be my best self. When we originally started this, we intended to say 
that we care about you and we want to send you home fulfilled. That's the way. That's the first words that's where we it used. began. It began. And what we didn't realize is that when I cared about you, I would make it safe for you to care about others. We didn't say, Jerry, we're gonna ca- we, we we want you to go home fulfilled, but in doing so, we're gonna we're gonna do that by caring for you. We didn't say, but then would you please care for your others? What happened is we released people to care. And I believe Simon Sinek says we allowed people to go back to the natural way they were intended to live together. They had a new model. Right. Amy Cuddy said, the uh, number two TED Talk in the world, the Harvard professor, Amy Cuddy said when she visited recently, she said, I thought places like this only existed in my head. This is as close to utopia as I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. Simon Sinek said, I've always been considered a nutty idealist, but I am no longer a nutty idealist because if it exists, it must be real. I've seen what I dreamed of. That's why the story of your book. Because, again, Amy teaches, Simon consults and speaks, right? Right, right. None of them have actually done it. Right. They can highlight when other people have done it, and I think that's why they find you so compelling. That's why I find Barry Waymiller so compelling, because it's it's not theory, it's not a consultant, it's not a speaker, it's not a TED Talk. It's a real existing living thing, and you can go see it and poke around in it if you want to. That's pretty compelling. Well, we've now <clears throat> created, uh, uh, we feel not only, so we feel not only the... Uh, calling to share this through the book we feel the calling to share it in every way possible and so we've created the beyond benchmarking events where we are opening our doors for a two-day deep dive for people who want to understand what truly human leadership look like and we're getting tremendous response from people all over the world uh, uh, to come in and see this model Uh, and and to understand what truly human leadership is all about. So it's a two-day deep dive into our culture. Here's how you. Here's how we uh, implement and actualize right. truly human leadership. We also are, have created uh, uh, an institute, uh, Barry Wimmer Leadership Institute, which says that when we find people through the Beyond Benchmarking uh, experience who believe what we believe, who want to begin this journey, who sincerely embrace this, We're not trying to convert people. We're trying to find the early adopters, mm-hmm. the, the the people, so that we began, if you think of Martin Luther King marching across the bridge in Selma, uh, holding hands with other people, we want to create a movement. We want to start lighting other lights to show this isn't Barry Waymiller or Bob Chapman or the packaging industry. This is fundamentals that are true and relevant to a number of organizations, which validates the theory. So it's very important to us in our time to create a movement, to create the dialogue, to create uh, univer- to awaken universities and, and, and organizations to uh, the way we're intended to be good stewards of each other's lives through organizational opportunities, whether again universities, hospitals, military, government, business, to reduce stress, to improve fulfillment so people can live more meaningful lives have better marriages, raise better children in a loving environment, and reduce the amount of stress and conflict in the world. So last question. <clears throat> Our company, University, we tell stories. We tell other people's stories primarily. Um, what's your absolute favorite story? It can be one you're part of. 
It can be one you heard from somebody else that truly inspired you. It can be a revelation that you had in a moment where everything came together for you. What's your What's your formative story? I'd say to you a few... Um, the most profound story was the wedding story. In all the speeches I give, that is the one Ken Blanchard, the one manager, author... Ken Edelman told me Ronald Reagan, who, who worked yep. with Ronald Reagan, would have loved it. So I'd say to you, the most profound story was the wedding I went to um, now, probably eight, eight or nine years ago, where I was, a friend of mine, uh, his daughter was getting married. And as I was sitting in this uh, um, wedding uh, chapel, uh, it was actually an outdoor wedding, um, my friend was walking his daughter down the aisle. And at that moment, everybody saw this proud father, this precious daughter, and dressed up in a beautiful wedding. And the, the pride of, you could just, everybody glowed from the pride of this daughter. And when, and you know, I don't know why my mind goes to where it does. I think it's part of my calling. But as, as my friend was walking her down the aisle and they got up to the altar and he took the hand of his daughter and he said, her mother and I give our daughter to be wed to this young man. And then he goes and sits down next to his wife and they kind of hold each other while they watch this ceremony occurred. And at that moment, uh, my mind just exploded with a totally different perspective that I'd never felt before, which has changed everything uh, from then. My mind went to the fact that that's not really what that father wanted to say. That's what he was told to say at the rehearsal dinner the night before. <laughs> he was told to say those exact words. What he wanted to say was, look at young man. Her mother and I brought this precious young lady into this world. We've given her all the love and care that we can possibly give her so she can be who we meant to be. And it is our greatest hope, young man, that through this marriage, that she will continue to give you the love that she is capable of doing and that you will be able to respect her love and dignity and the two of you together will create a life of meaning and purpose for yourselves and the children that come of this wedding. Do you understand that, young man? And that's what every father wants to say as he sees his daughter go into the hands of somebody else and influenced by that. And it occurred to me that day that all 9,000 people that work for us around the world are somebody's precious child, just like that young man and young woman. And that every time they walk in our building, we have the same opportunity that they do in that marriage. And matter of fact, a very powerful impact on their life because we can, we have the opportunity to allow them to be who they're intended to be towards our common vision and to shepherd that life. And so when you, when you don't look at people as functions anymore, because I always thought that's a receptionist, that's an accountant, that's a shipping (laughs) department person, that's a machinist, they're functions. And as long as I need them, I might even be nice to them, but they were functions, they weren't people, they weren't somebody's precious child. And when I realized that day that everybody that works for us was brought into the world by loving parents with the expectation that their child could be, have a life of meaning and purpose, it changed the way I saw everything. It just, it just, it was 
Well, it's like the clouds opening up, and all of a sudden I could see the world is intended to be. And I said, if we think of, of every, that we have the chance to affect all these 9,000 precious lives. And I thought, you know, what we should do is when we, uh, at, when we invite anybody to join our organization, we should have their family come to the door. And the team that invites that person into our company should stand there and said, if you'll let Mary or Bill, your precious mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, join our organization in the role we've defined, we promise you we will be a good steward of this precious life. And uh, you can hold us accountable to that if you allow the person to join us. And that we would take from the very minute everybody walks in our door around the world a profound sense of responsibility towards that life. And and again, to do that, you need to create these disciples because you can't be everywhere, but you need to create that feeling of safety and caring in a good business model. Again, absolutely. if you got a business, you know, if you got a bus that goes over a cliff, yeah. And it's a safe bus and good drivers, okay, they're dead. Right. And and you know, that's gonna happen occasionally. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have some people with some ideas that don't work. But the question is profoundly caring about the lives of the people entrusted to you and that you touch in the course of your business. And it uh, somebody once said to me, I once asked a group of CEOs after that story I said to a group of CEOs, Does anybody disagree with me? And they said there's like 150 CEOs, and I said, nope. And I said, okay, ask me questions. And a gentleman in the back said, I agree, Mr. Chapman, with everything you said, but boy, I think it'd be really, really hard to do that. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, well, I'm just curious. Are you married? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, do you find being married easy? And he thought a minute, and he said, no, it's really hard to be married. And I said, what human relationship is easy? You're right, it's hard to care, but what's the alternative? Okay? What's the alternative? And can you embrace it? Right. Yeah, and, and, and so I'd say to you, I have never had anybody debate at any university, at any talk. Come on. It is clearly to me, we've been blessed with the way we are intended to live together. And we know... And, and I know, again, I know we have a long way to go to be truly a truly human leadership. And, no matter, and we'll never get there. It's like living a perfect life. You could always be better. You could always be better stewards of the lives personally. But uh, that story, when it, just cha- it just changed everything for me. Because when you look at those people, not as functions became, yeah. or not as part of your success, I need all those functions for me to be successful. It changes the way you look yeah. at it. Stewardship became real. Stewardship in a became, flash. Right. It was no longer a word. It was right. the lives of people. Yeah. Fantastic. Bob, thanks, Thank man. Thanks for your example. Thanks for your words. Thanks for sticking your neck out there in a book and uh, uh, publicly saying, here's a different way to look at life. And uh, I, I've been, I honestly don't know the alternative. Yeah. You know, I've been profoundly influenced <laughs> by that. And, and uh, so on behalf of a lot of people who have, thank you. What a great conversation. Thanks again to Bob for coming in today and telling us his powerful and compelling story. His book, Everybody Matters, is available right now, and I highly recommend that you pick it up. Of course, I may or may not be quoted in it a few times, so I have a personal interest. Again, the Great Minds series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity, a creative, storytelling, and online training company. 
Big brains, great stories. Let Innoversity tell your story today. Thanks for listening to the Great Mind Series podcast. I'm Jerry Zanstra, and make it a great day.